Well, hello and welcome to episode 168 of The Cool Room, uh, a very special episode for any number of reasons. I will shortly introduce my co-host, Mr. Warren Wu. We will shortly get on to discussing some fantastic beers that we have from Range. I think we've got two packs left in our uh, online store. Go and check that out, please. But the reason why this is a really, really, really momentous time in podcasting and craft beer podcasting is that this is the first time we've done a podcast knowingly since discovering chat GPT and discovering just how redundant we are as human beings. Uh, as most listeners will know, I write the questions up and send them over to the breweries beforehand. I spent some time doing that this morning before I even had my first coffee of the day. I could have just gone to chat GPT. Mr. Warren Woo's done the chat GPTs. I've even lost capacity to remember their letters. That's exactly what Skynet wants. Mr. Warren Woo, take over and let's get things underway for the day with episode 168. Oh, good God. Yeah, we, we are all, we are all going to lose our jobs. And you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. I'm partly okay with that. We're, I don't know. Do I still get paid while I lose my job? Well, it depends. What is on, my job? I'm not sure what your job is. Aren't you, aren't you just a counsellor anyway? What's your other jobs? Surely there's... Well, I'm ensuring not. the good people of Melbourne have access to great beers like Rage. Yeah, see, that's, I think that's important. I don't think a computer could replace you there. But let's move on because otherwise we'll go down a dark, stupid hole which nobody else wants to listen to. Um, we are extremely, extremely lucky to have Range Brewing on. And, oh, my God, I don't believe this is the first time. It is, yeah, I don't know. For some strange reason, I thought... Like when I saw it, I thought we definitely have those guys. We've 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 they like we've been drinking the beers forever. It's just yeah, their 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 symbol is pretty iconic. Um, we've had them in blind them. tasting packs. We've sort of referenced yeah. them so many times, but that's it. But we've never had them in the thing. But we've got Jaron Matt here uh, to join us for for what should be a really interesting chat. And I'm uh, despite the fact that I did. I did realise that a lot of the questions that David asked were exactly the same questions that ChatGBT presented when I asked it, can you please provide me with 10 questions you'd ask a brewery in a, in a interview? We'll move on from that. Um, hi, guys. How are you both doing? Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, doing really well. Excellent. Excellent. Stoked to be, stoked to be on chatting with you guys. Okay, so um, we'll kick it off really quickly by asking one of our, uh, one of the traditional things we do is get one of you to introduce the other. So we might start with Matt <laughs> and he, yeah, and vice versa. And one of the questions... You can't say we'll start with Matt and vice versa and not explain what he's got to do. Well, Matt's Matt's got to well Matt's got to introduce Jared. Jared will then introduce Matt. Uh, a couple of the questions we like to hear answered in this is: uh, What is the first craft beer you think your partner in crime had, and what is their favourite craft beer? Well, what's their favourite craft beer that isn't a range beer in your yeah. example? So. <clears throat> Uh, kicks off, man. Um, yeah, so this is uh, my business partner, Jared. Um, we've known each other for quite some time now. I would say 
this year will be 20 years. Uh, we went to high school together uh, up in Toowoomba. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of craft beer around when we were growing up. Um, but I would say uh, the, the first beer that he probably had that was a craft beer was probably Fat Yak Pale Ale. Oh, but yeah. yep. beer that we consistently drank that was a craft beer was, was definitely Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So that dates you a little bit, I've got to say, in terms of, in one sense, pretty new to craft beer compared to a whole lot of other people who might answer, like, you know, a, a Redback as their first craft beer or a Cooper's as their first craft beer. Pretty relatively new to craft beer with that sort of, with that lineage. Yeah, well, I was working at a pub in Toowoomba when Fat Yak got released in around about 2008. So hmm. that... And that was the year that I turned 18. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't really be drinking too much more before then. And we uh, certainly wouldn't want to reference the fact that you were, had you been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. What, and, the vi- what, and the vice versa. Or what's or, what, or, you know, Oh, yeah, yeah, Matt, yeah, yeah. Jared's favourite favorite craft beer or style or whatever. whatever. Like, for uh, example, David's is like high nice. Uh, you can. He just drinks tons of it. That's his favourite thing. He loves it. You um, can't let it go, can you? No, can't. No. Jared is. Um, Jared's one of one of the dads of the brewery. Um, he's a new dad, so he has been um, just crushing session beers lately. Yeah. So session session pale, I would say, is uh, is his style of choice. Um, I think probably if I had to pick one that wasn't one of ours that he would drink a lot of would probably be maybe um, Bolter Hazy, uh, Bolter Easy Hazy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 4%, 4% yeah. session beer. Yeah. Now, we're going to ask the vice versa question. Normally, we're much better prepared than this, and I suggest to our guests online that they make sure they have the chat function open in Zoom. So if you haven't done that already, my apologies for not suggesting that, because everyone else who's in the Zoom room with us tonight, thank you to everyone who's joined us live on Thursday night on Zoom, can type in questions that we can reference as we go along. Um, And we're going to ask in a minute... Uh, about where the brewery is and what it looks like. But for our overseas listeners, and we always reference the fact that we have a number and they're from a very wide, diverse part of the world, Toowoomba is not a place that we've ever referenced before. Uh, (laughs) Can you give us a bit of a a rundown of what Toowoomba was like when you guys were in high school? Yeah, um, I guess I would say that Toowoomba is a very large uh country town um it tries to be it at times it tries to be a bit bigger um than it is but i think for for us like growing up there it was a it's a really good um city to grow up in um lots and lots of schools and also lots of pubs sadly a lot of those pubs have now closed um but there are there is a few pubs still there but a lot of the the older pubs had that I would like to say that charm of a of a Sydney or a Melbourne pub. Um, so we're talking again for overseas listeners. We're talking Queensland. We're talking a fair way up in Queensland. We're talking proper hot sort of tropical by Australian standards sort of countryside. Big big pubs. What kind of beers were you having up there, other than the beautiful fat yak? Yeah, well, yeah. So Toowoomba is about ninety minutes west of Brisbane. So. 
it's not it's not necessarily north, but they call it um, they call it the gateway to the west. So it's like the last bit of civilization before you you really hit country Queensland. Um, so yeah, there wasn't there was basically one pub back in those days that had any kind of decent decent beer on. Yeah, um, and they had a they had a bottle shop at the time that. Uh, I used to work at that pub and then at that bottle shop, which is what really got me into beer. But they had uh, a European beer cafe in there. Um, and there was a beer sommelier by the name of Ian Watson, who used to run that, who if anyone in the brewing industry would know Ian Watson, he has worked for um, Slipstream, um, uh, Fortitude Brewing, a bunch of um, really notable Queensland breweries. So yeah, they had all kinds of um, uh, rogue, rogue Dead Guy was like, my first like real real craft beer um so yeah there was a bit up there but to be honest i think we were probably just drinking carton draft like it was going out of fashion at that stage it's probably a bit of sierra nevada going around too was there there was a little yeah. bit of sierra nevada yeah that's the one that everyone throws in just for a bit of credibility so yeah that's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah every, every podcast that i've ever listened to people say something like that but it like we 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 never really we didn't really do that much of the the old school American pale ale drinking. Yeah, Rogue Dead Guy was about as as adventurous as it got. Or Little Creatures Bright Ale actually was my other favorite when I worked oh, there. Yeah, classic. Yeah, Bright Ale's a that's a completely legitimate answer. And actually, the Dead Guy is one of those beers that is one of those ones that if you're in the you know if you're in you're in and you know yeah. what that is. And it's a beautiful beer and the Dead on Dead as well, which used to be a, a sort of their variation on that fantastic beer. Yeah, for sure. Now it's time for our vice versa. Okay. Um, I don't know if I should say hi, I'm Matt, but this is Matt. Um, yeah, as Matt said, he was he has actually introduced Jared to um, a lot of the craft beer pursuits. Um, Matt's first, probably first beer was like like he said, little creatures, something like that. But I guess notable. Um, first like really talked about beer that Matt sort of um, pushed on to me was something from Modus Operandi. Yeah, right. Um, in the times when uh, Queensland was get, getting them in one litre prowler cans, um, they were filling them and, and sending them up and uh, a, a um, pub slash bottle store in Brisbane that Matt worked at called Archive um, was getting them in. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's that made a big impact and, Matt worked in a lot of um, bars and things like that and served me a lot of craft beer and got me into it as well. Ah, awesome. And his favourite, you know, what do you reckon his sort of favourite beer, you know, even up to this day, he's sort of, you know. Matt's still a, a big sucker for uh, a really nice hazy double IPA. That's really surprising given the lineup of beers that we have to taste tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't have seen that coming. So. <laughs> We, yeah, look, we have some... um, sorry, in particular, this one coming up. Awesome. So we, we'll get to that in a minute. We have an awesome lineup of beers. Do both. First and foremost, check out our Shopify from the cool room. And then if you can't get any of the beers through them, let's track down where else we can get the beers, both online. But there's there's a couple of venues, both in uh, Brizzy, but also in uh, in Queensland, I should say, and in Melbourne. Tell us about the venues. Tell us about where people can find you and paint a bit of a picture of those, if you will. Yeah, so um, 
Yeah, we have two um, sort of bricks and mortar locations right now. One um, is our a home base in, in Queensland. So we have a, a brewery and tap room in Newstead, um, which is it's our tap room has been open since we we um, we released our first beer. Um, so that's always a great spot to come in, check out the venue, check out the brewery, um, grab some cans on the way out. Uh, and then we opened a second location uh, in Abbotsford in uh, Melbourne in December, late November 2020, um, which was just an awesome time to open a venue in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were debate. We were having this debate before you came on whether it was during COVID or not. But for anyone who hasn't listened to the last hundred odd episodes and the whole reason why the podcast exists, yeah, COVID lockdown in Melbourne was pretty perhaps pretty serious undertaking to say the least. Yeah, Jerry knows all about it. He uh, and his partner actually moved to Melbourne to to complete and oversee the the build of that location. Um, so he was stuck down there, and I was stuck up here. And he got beers every now and again when we sit when we set him down in the post for him every week. So, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. brutal! <laughs> That's really brutal. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting time to actually receive beers from like my brewery in the post it's like a lot of the people down there were in in that sort of sense and i had that excitement just you know waiting waiting for the next delivery looking at the tracking all the time um but yeah since since then we obviously have our bricks and mortar and our online store but we progressively you know after covid or during covid as well started um selling more and more of our beer into bottle shops good bottle stores and um pubs around australia um in particular the we have you know probably our second biggest um base of of um, bottle stores that we supply to is is in melbourne that's that's terrific to hear um i so the next the next thing we should do and probably one of the first things we should have done is talk about the beer that we're starting with uh we've got the echoes in front of us which is uh ella's lager um delicious it would it's it's just that pure uh, multi beautiful clean expression of of uh lagers we we've been really smashing and loving on the show tell us about it is it so is it something that you guys have been interested in and kind of had your focus on for a long time what's the history yeah where's it all come from yeah, so yeah, it's kind of, I guess, a slightly overlooked fact about about range as a brewery that we we actually do make lagers quite often, um, and we have been doing that for quite some time. I think people have, I wouldn't say pigeonholed us, but people definitely seek out our bigger, hoppier beers a lot more than our than our lower ABV beers. But um, in our venues, we 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 serve like a lot of lager. It's probably our second biggest seller on draft every week in our venues so yeah we've been making lager for a little while and we've had a pretty strong focus on um, refining and and narrowing down our processes for probably the last 18 to 24 months I would say um, and and in that time we've made some some beautiful beers that we're we're really happy with um, this one in particular actually so it's it's great that we we're able to share that with you guys. And I think you were saying before we sort of came live on the air or before we pressed record that there's been a couple of iterations of this beer. Can you 
sort of tell us a little bit about sort of how it's changed and how you've learned how to dial it in, I guess. Me to go. So uh, originally, um, before we Matt, before we started the brewery, Matt and I um, lived in the UK in, in London, and um, we had a touch football team called Mustard. Um, and every right Tuesday, Tuesday night, this every is going Tuesday, somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, every Tuesday night we would um, go to a particular pub and drink quite a few pints of Camden Hells. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not a bad beer. Yeah. Um, so when we got back and started our own brewery, we were like, let's let's brew let's brew a Hells, and we called it Mustard. And on the can, it's it the, the label is mustard coloured. And on the can, it actually has our little logo, which is terrible, by the way, of our touch football team, which is like a little fist. It's like a fist bump. Yeah. And it's hidden on the can. No one ever picked it up, I don't think, but it's hidden on the can somewhere. So that was the first um, Hell's Lager we, we, you know, iteration we did. Um, and that was, it was quite a bit stronger, it was probably 6%. Yeah. Um, and since then, we've, we've done, We've done multiple iterations of that particular one. Um, and then, yeah, we've, we, this one, obviously, like I mentioned before, we dropped the ABV um, just because we wanted a, a house lager to be pouring in our tap rooms and, you know, potentially to put into a, like a forever range, a, a core line in the future. Um, and so does that imply, so tell us a bit, does that imply there is no core line at the moment or how does all of that work? We currently have one. It's um, it's just behind us here. You can't really see it, but Dis- Disco um, DDH Pale is the first beer uh, in our forever range. Um, we don't like the word core range, so we made up our own, and it's <laughs> called the forever range. Um, so we're going to be making Disco forever, um, hopefully. And that is in our tasting pack. So most of us who are on Zoom tonight have had that as our sort of first beer of the night just to, to come in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Forever Range currently has one beer in it. We we don't really have. We never set out to say, okay, we need five beers in it. We need three beers in it. It's just we're going to make this one for now, and then as we sort of grow and evolve, we'll we'll decide, you know, if anything else needs to be in that family and and what it is at the time. We'll you know, we'll we'll choose as, as and when. Um, I'm going to go back to the lager um, mm-hmm. because I love talking about lager. Uh, if so, so there's a lot in the market at the moment. I think we're, we're uh, particularly down here, and I'm not sure if it's the same with the Queensland market. But there seems to be a lot of people kind of pushing the style and really trying to trying to um, to kind of perfect that style. Is is it something that you guys look at? externally and go well do 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 you look at other examples or is it a more internal thing where you just go all right we're we're just here to to smash out the best one that we like drinking where what's the process in terms of of producing a beer like this one of these classic i I guess um for us it it was never really about um like market pressure or anything like that Um, Essentially, we we as human beings just enjoy drinking really good lager. Um, there's a venue up here called the German Club, um, and it is a, a German venue. So they pour, um, yeah, all sorts of 
beautiful um, vice beers and lagers in there. Um, not that it's German, but they often have Budvar um, pouring on tap. It's the only reliable place you can get Augustina Hellers in a bottle. Um, and they pour Rothaus pills pretty well year round. So that's um, it's often a, a location that we have staff dinners and it's opposite the Gabba. So if you're ever going to a footy game or a cricket match, you go to the German club first. And it's kind of one of those, if you know, you know, kind of venues. Um, so long story short, we're, we're probably more inspired by traditional lagers like that. And we've, we've more tried to replicate those, those kinds of beers that I've just mentioned in our, in our brewing of lagers so far. I, I really feel like we need to explain to Heinrich from Norway and all of our other overseas listeners what the Gabba is. But also, I kind of want to leave it go, but there is, it is not an Australian summer until you've heard the Gabba referenced a couple of times. That's all I'm going Absolutely. to say. Um, the other thing, when we talk to, when we talk to breweries about their lager, the, the theme that sometimes comes up, or yeah, generally comes up is about the demand on tanks, which a good lager can, can have. And particularly because craft brewing is generally intensive to start with, mm. has that had an effect on how you guys produce produce your your lagers and and how much do you have to juggle to 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 kind of make room for that um yeah do you want to answer that yeah yeah i think it's had an impact on um like matt said before the making a decision on whether or not we would make this into a like a, a core range beer mm-hmm. and, and that time in tank is is massively plays into it for us um i guess the beauty of us and and where we are currently with our brewery is we we're not pigeonholed to having to produce that all the time so and and at a at a fast rate um the demand we we make our lagers off is is purely tap room and then a little bit into into the wholesale market so we essentially have always a lager tank going at at all times um, and we've we've already written that, written that time off that extra time in tank off. Um, you know we we we've just naturally said that, that you know that that it is what it is. Um, and, and and I guess in the second answer to the question is yeah if if we do go down that line of of producing it into a core range, it it will have it will have impact and it'll actually reduce our overall capacity of our current brewery size slightly um so yeah it's definitely something to consider but it's something that we we won't rush as well yeah yeah that, that makes a lot yeah. of sense it, it's it's something that we've we've always wanted to i guess honor is you know like i said we're trying to um replicate Augustina Hellers and Rothaus Pills and, you know, and Budvar and, you know, Pilsner Urkel. And it's like, we've always felt that it would, you know, it's a disservice to those beers if we, you know, rip a lager through in 16 days and, and don't give it the conditioning time that it needs. So we've always, we've always tried our best. We've never done like a, a full two or three month um, conditioning, but it, it it's definitely, you know, over two times as long in, in tank as what, you know, a hazy pale would be or, or, or even an IPA. So absolutely. 
it's um, a truly delicious beer, I've got to say. And I'm, really you know, good. I normally just have a little sip and move on from one beer to the other. I have finished this can for better or worse, and that's an absolute compliment to the fact that it is so drinkable and just Excellent. seems to be the perfect beer for the kind of uh, summer day at the end of yeah. February that we're enjoying here in Melbourne and I know right across Australia. We're about to move into the first of a couple of big IPAs, and I say that because I really hope that, that people will keep a little bit of the first one to have alongside the second one. So I'd love to have a bit of time for a comparison between the Power Trip and the XL. So that's just a little heads up warning before we start to talk about the Power Trip. And that's why I didn't let Mr. Warren Wu dive in with his first question, which I know he's itching to ask, but I really wanted to suggest to people whether they're listening uh, live in the Zoom room with us or listening on the podcast, try and keep a little bit of those two beers to have alongside each other so we can talk about the hops that are, that are working away in there. I was um, I was actually going to also ask a little a little kind of breather question as people get the power trip out and yeah, I know a little breather yeah you know and it's like I people people might be finishing off their lager before they move on to the the power trip but given this is the second beer in our list we I thought I might talk about the second venue very quickly in Melbourne um, it's it's great I am it's great that you have one here although admittedly and shamefully i haven't been to your venue although i'd love your beers and i really should have uh you wouldn't believe how big the the, for people living in norway they probably don't understand how big hoddle street is as a barrier (laughs) in the western part of melbourne Uh, but uh, like so i was just wondering has melbourne having a venue in melbourne start to influence what you do like has has and is there a difference between like is do you guys see a big difference in the consumption i'm sure you try to say it's range for it's a range venue first but how how how, like in terms of the two venues what's the what's i suppose the chemistry between the two yeah we we have to start brewing stouts when it's still 40 degrees in queensland (laughs) it's fine well yeah you know yeah we'll drink a stout at 40 degrees in February. Like that's, I think that's a Melbourne thing. I think you're just a terrible Melbourneian if you don't drink a stout. Oh, yeah. you, you are <laughs> making, you know exactly who you're making an enemy of when you say that, but do go on, Warren. Um, yeah, so so is that seriously one of the things? Like you have to brew yeah. a dark beer. All wow. Yeah, and and based off just you know, statistics from the tap rooms, um, draft beer you know drinking in um we notice the melbournians like to drink a higher abv um versus that versus the brisbane tap room um there is a definite uh i guess the 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 highest selling draft beer down there is it's, it's usually an ipa or a higher abv pale versus down um versus up here it's about a 3.8 percent pale um, that thing, and, and yeah, exactly right. what Matt said, like we have the guys down there constantly asking for dark beer and um, multi multi beer, and it's just yeah, the, it's, there is a, a slight difference in drinking drinking down there. So we all had a calendar notification last week from last year that we set saying brew dark beers now because we <laughs> always miss it. Over the last couple of years, we've always missed it. Missed, we've always been too late. So. Um, 
the a dark beer is being packaged next week. Oh, oh that's fantastic. So that's that's our sort of first on-air scoop. Uh, we did get a little scoop beforehand, which we'll come back to later on about chat GPT. But that's our first on-air scoop at 7.13 p.m. So that's a, it's a bit earlier than usual. Nice. <laughs> we we should talk about the powertrain now. That um, Yeah, that's uh, like, and we will come back to both the tap rooms because I think, yeah, it's it's not many breweries that have that have two tap rooms that will be distinctly different in really different locations. I think that's a fascinating conversation. But let's talk about the powertrain. Um, do, would one of you like to give us a bit of a taste, a tasting? Like what what should we be getting from the powertrain? Um, it's it's like it's a, a double dry hopped Westie. But yeah, outside of that, what are you trying to do? And, and yeah, uh, have you achieved it? Yeah, so um, West Coast IPA is again, it's one of those things that we've 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 made quite a bit of over our time. But some people have been quite um, critical of them. Some people really love them. I think um, often we're we're trying to make all of our beers as balanced as possible. So sometimes we would rather err on the side of caution and drinkability than straight up, you know, in your face aggressiveness, um, particularly with our West Coast IPAs. As you can see from the color of this, it's, it's pretty light, um, you know, compared to some of the traditional West Coast IPAs that some people may have in their mind from yesteryear when they started drinking them. Um, I think the modern West Coast IPA has really leaned out in its malt bill and it's it's now um, stripping away a lot of the um, the caramel that used to be in those you know original old school Westies. Um, we prefer a really a really lean malt base, um, mainly mainly just pale and pills um, in our in our uh, malt base. Um, but this one this is the first double dry hops West Coast IPA we've done. Um, yeah. And the second scoop I'll give you is that this beer has mosaic incognito in the whirlpool, so it'll it'll it just enhances that sticky, saturating kind of a mouthfeel that you get. Um, and with mosaic, it 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 gives it a nice little sticky, dank resin. It's it's definitely got that. Like it's a really it's really funny. It's really dry. And uh, Mark, one of our regulars who who we love, uh, just made a, a point that it's quite smashable for the style and we love that but it's also that dank resininess is almost like i wouldn't say chlorine because that's a negative thing but you you, it kind of yeah it really just sits there and and just tells you exactly what it is on your palate and that's it's really fascinating especially from something that's clear like we've we've we get that resiny dankness so often from something that's a bit hazy, but yeah, it's great to see that syrupy style. And that's and Corey, one of the other one of our other regulars, is yeah, just put it in. It's like there's a syrupiness about it, which I think you've I think that's what you guys have gone for. And that's that's it. It's definitely there. Yeah. Um that that's something that we we find often with using incognito. Um for anyone that doesn't know, incognito is a is a liquid hop product um, and concentrate that's made 100% from hop, natural hops. Um, so we often use it in the whirlpool and, and just find that it just enhances that that mouthfeel and that syrupiness of whatever the 
variety is that we choose to use. So, mm. yeah. It's it's really fun that just like a good wine, it has it changes in your mouth as you taste it. So it's got a number of layers. And I think that's what's really fun about it from my point of view, that, you know, there are good beers and they hit you with what they've got. But this one, if you let it sit in your palate for a little bit, it'll change over time as well. And that resininess, but there's almost that sweetness to that resin as well. Like it's a, that it comes through at the end there. I think absolutely top-notch beer, guys. Thank yeah, you. Cheers. One thing to note with this beer is we've always... Um, We've had this conversation a lot with our West Coast IPAs recently is we're really happy with the flavor we're getting, but we're just trying to search for that tiny bit more aroma. And this particular beer we're, we're pretty happy with. Um, and that just comes down to with our dry hop and back end, just some different temperature changes, just a couple more, couple more degrees change. And let's, let's nerd out on that. We love, we haven't really done <laughs> nerd talk properly here and we do love nerd talk because we have our nerd <laughs> listeners. And I say that with love because I'm one of them. Um, you know, explain how that bit of the process works. How do you keep those volatiles, you know, alive in, in the drink that we're having right now? Yeah, well, we won't exactly divorce. <laughs> just well, to, yeah, you know uh, what I mean. Um, yeah, it's it's two things. Um, I, I personally find that, I'll say it again, but the incognito in the whirlpool um, is one thing that, that also really benefits that aroma and um if, if you smell this beer you'll notice how much mosaic there are three different types of mosaic in this beer so it's pretty mosaic heavy um but yeah we've we've changed around our, our dry hopping process um quite a bit and we've done some mid-firm and some post-firm and some uh pre-firm dry hopping um and yeah, we're sort of at a point now where we've got a nice balance of uh, when we can add hops to sort of maximise our flavour but avoid hop creep. Um, and that's that's sort of where we've we've gotten to with this beer, where we're, a, we're able to get out the yeast that we need um, as well as dry hop it at a temperature warm enough that it, that it does activate the, uh, I guess... The, the thiols that we want it to activate, yeah. It's a great answer and fascinating in the context that you guys clearly have been thinking about how to make that work. So it's uh, always fascinating, fascinating to hear from breweries, you know, who have what's the next thing we've got to get right and that sort of incremental progress and incremental, you know, success is just a, a fascinating sort of thing to hear, especially for home brewers and others as we try and, you know, learn how to make our own beers at home that little bit better. Yeah, uh, I'm really sort of keen to sort of dig into a little bit of that backstory about, you know, that transition from high school mates in Toowoomba to how you end up running a really successful brewery. So tell us that little bit of the beginning, you know, when you were getting together in Toowoomba, you know, where was, were you drinking together or was it that sort of experience of customer and, you know, and uh, barman or, you know, and so forth how did you actually sort of go to that bit of no I actually like spending time with this guy maybe I could run a business with him okay yeah so essentially um from the Toowoomba days um go forward 10 years um university degrees uh not in anything to do with um chemistry or beer now um, I don't want to I don't want to hazard a guess yeah yeah just but IT? Uh, uh, engineering. 
Oh, oh so- yeah, no, engineering's close enough. I think, like, if it's in the applied sciences, it is, yeah. You're, you're one of those. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And, and, and Matt. I'm one of those. We love those. <laughs> and, yeah, so I knew how to drink a lot of beer in my university days. Not make it. Yeah. Um, yeah, my degree was in tourism, so we don't talk about that. It was a big old waste of time and money. I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've ever had anyone with a tourism degree on the show before. Like literally in 168 episodes. I mean, 154 of them have been IT. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, nor should you, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. So flash forward all of that. Um, essentially, full time jobs took took multiple years off. Um, Matt and I actually living in Canada and, and going around there and essentially still wanting to be bums. I, I moved to the UK and um, begged Matt just to come over there and enjoy the London life because we were having a good time at, at that time. And um, Matt moved there. And I guess when I was living in London, firstly, I wasn't drinking. Like I, I, I liked craft beer, but I wasn't, you know, going out and, and, and searching for it. So Matt moved over and... Um, yeah, started a job with a, a company that hosts um, beer festivals and also worked at BrewDog on the side. Um, so with him working at BrewDog and also working um, for this festival company, he definitely got around a lot of uh, craft beer over there and, and, you know, invited me to a lot of uh, little breweries in London. Um, and also at nights he was working and I was coming home from something, I'd drop into the brew dog he worked at near my house and have a few more beers um, at a discounted rate. <laughs> Hold on, that so that tourism degree is actually perfect. <laughs> like, it was it's the core least, of the story, isn't it? It looks like Jerry. It was like amazing. Yeah, that yeah, I have used that tourism degree <laughs> a couple of times. But, um, I could have used a business degree probably a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's like it's like the the um is it the deeds guys they were both engineers yeah and yeah and and like the first thing they did they did wasn't to brew beer like engineers you'd, as you'd expect it was to sell stuff and work out how to sell stuff and that's yeah. i mean mm-hmm. and the tourism bit i think has a little bit of that to it like as a component of that to it yeah, so we're, we're sort of a unique story in how the brewery started because neither of us uh, were or are home brewers. So we didn't kind of catch that bug at home and then decide we wanted to turn pro. We decided we wanted to turn pro without being amateurs. Um, so, yeah, we were, going, we were going and spending a lot of our, our weekends and our, you know, even our trips to other countries involved beer and breweries and we were going to you know the beaver towns the wiper and shrews uh the colonel um places like that in london and i think we kind of just got this um this addiction to it and 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 just a lot of the craft craft beer bars in and around east london as well um which at that time were just really up and coming and i think a, a common theme from from jerry and i's time together over life has been once once something starts and it, it starts as an idea and then um the engineer starts researching it and and after that it just it snowballs and it, it just you can't stop it it's in 
it, it's just it's going too fast so that's kind of what happened we 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 started talking about you know starting a bar back in australia that imported beer from the colonel and beaver town and Cloudwater, and and then it was oh well if we're gonna you know sell beer why don't we like have a small brew pub and make some beer and then it was we're gonna make beer let's like really make beer and have a commercial brewery so yeah one thing led to another and here we are and did you just sort of evolve completely from the idea of importing beer without being smart? Like, did you have you sort of never done that sort of cloud water importation bar? Uh, we've never done the bar. Um, we've definitely spent way more money than what we should to get beer from some of our friends' breweries um, into Australia. So we've, we've definitely done some importing, but um, not yeah. It, it's not a very um, successful business venture the way that we do it uh nothing associated with beer is i'm more than happy to like the last 160 episodes have been about how this is not a good investment so (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah so that's yeah living living there drinking the beers and then i guess there was this sort of moment when we decided like we we were having some beers some actually some cloudwater hazy beer in a pub um the name of the pub i won't say because that's a lot of our business passwords now with some <laughs> oh, give us a hint Come on. <laughs> um, um was it the florist i used to drink at the florist quite often and one of the passwords of florist that's in that's in uh, uh bethel green for anyone who <laughs> hey, I'll 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 tell you you're in the right suburb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's not the florist. And it's okay because because the O is actually a zero in that password. So don't worry. <laughs> and the S is yeah, it's a Z. Yeah, okay. Yep. Moving right along. Um yeah, and we just we there was just this moment where we were like we were enjoying a Cloudwater double IPA at the time. Um early Cloudwater. Um and we were just like, this beer is so good, like this hazy style. And for me, firstly, you know, really, really getting into like good craft in the UK and then drinking that, I was just, mine was kind of blown um, in terms of flavor and, you know, the experience of drinking that beer. So I think it, we just it had this, it wasn't even a light bulb moment, but we were just like, we have to try to start a brewery back in Australia. Um, I think it would be a good time because I'm about to just finish off the last of the power trip. Maybe don't we finish it off. On. Save a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's I know, but it's going to be tough if we don't have the other beer in front of us. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I love what the, a little bit more of a discussion in the background, but let's, should we, should we adjourn for five minutes and then come back with. Sure. Let's press beer? pause on the record so people can go to the bathroom freshen their glasses and we'll come back and have the XL and the power trip next to each other. Well, here we are. We're back in the cool room for episode 168. Chat GPT has had no uh, dilatorious effect on our podcast so far. The night is young. We're having a great yarn with Jared and Matt from Range, and we've got another magnificent beer uh, in our hands. It's the XL DDH Dipper, and uh, hopefully people have hung on to a little bit of the power trip because there's a really interesting conversation, I think, to have here about which hops are the same, which are different, and the way that they're presented in these two 
is, uh, is a really interesting opportunity to explore what those hops can present to us. But Mr. Warren Wu, I'm going to throw over to you and you can get us underway on the XL. Yeah, the guys have been nice enough to put the list of both, uh, for both beers of the hops they use. And I think it's a really interesting comparison. Um, what drives the decision? Well, first of all, what are the well, I could just read them out. No, no, our listeners can actually buy the beer and they can they can find out themselves. But what's the decision behind the the hops that you you use for each one of the beers, particularly our homebrewers who 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 kind of don't have that don't often have the that decision to make. You know, they get whatever's available. But yeah, for you guys who have got a little bit more buying power and who can kind of pick and choose. Where's the decision come from? Where, what drives those decisions regarding the hops? Yeah, well, we have um, we have a pretty small production team up here, and um, we have a few people that sort of come into the, I guess, the conversation of what we're going to brew and and when. Um, and there's a there's a team of us that make that decision, um, and then ultimately we leave the recipe creation up to uh, Mitch, our head brewer. Um, depending on what it is, you know, different people may request uh, a certain hop in a certain beer. Um, I'll often come up with a concept for a beer that I had a dream about and say, we need to make this beer and call it this. And these are the hops you have to use. Um, but we, we basically have, I guess, favorite hop varieties for specific styles of beer. Um, and we don't tend to stray too far from those. Um, we're not about to put fuggles in a hazy IPA um, just the same way as we're not going to double dry hop a stout uh, with Citra. So, yeah, I think um, we're looking for, well, when we decide what beer style we're going to make, we're, we're, we're sort of deciding what dominant flavors we want that beer to have uh, and how intense we want them to be. Um, so, yeah, for a beer like this, like XL, it's pretty hefty. The dry hop is um, is quite frankly insane for the volume of beer that we make to the, the volume of hops that go into it. So explain, we've done sort of the beer nerd end of things. For people who are listening to one of their first craft beer podcasts, explain what that really means in terms of how the production works and why this is a huge beer when it appears to us in a, in a glass. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially... Um, well, it's obviously a huge beer, firstly, because it is a double IPA. I guess we would we would put it in the higher high ABV range for our um, mix of beers we like to make. Um, secondly, it's got the DDH um, abbreviation on the front of the can, which means double dry hopped. Um, and that truly means it has been double dry hopped compared to the rate at which we dry hop our d- double IPAs. Um when we do that, we, 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 we don't do it often and we want, we want to make sure when we select those hops that the hops we're putting in, we're going to get the flavour for the price we can sell the beer at. Because when we put that much hops in, a lot of it is T90 and it just soaks up and it's like a, like a, um, a sponge and takes in a lot of the liquid, which means when we're doing these double dry hop beers where I, I guess our um, overall efficiency um, or volume we get from the beer is is much lower, so we have to sell at a little bit higher price in order to make make some profit off it. Um, 
But in doing that, it also produces a beer like this. So I guess that's why I wanted to wanted everyone to drink this tonight. Is like it with all that hops, it also is increasing the mouthfeel. I did see someone said it does look like a milkshake, and um, it's just there's no lactose in there. It's it's literally just those hops and and a lot of adjunct producing that flavor. Um, this particular beer, people have really been enjoying um, in our sort of customer base. Um, it, is it the first time? We've, it might be the, only the second time ever. We've. This is the second double drop, double IPA, double IPA. we released. Yeah, we mm-hmm. did one around Christmas time called Flex, which was uh, also really good. This one's, um, I would say, better. Yeah, yeah. And, and I've got to say, people in the chat are saying, and I completely agree that. If you gave me this in a blind tasting, I would guess there was lactose or some or oats or something else in there. So how are you getting that sort of, you know, that sort of beautiful big mouthfeel? Is it simply the hot bill or how, how does that work? No, there, there are there are um, plenty of oats in this beer as well. Um, we, we use multiple variations of oats. So um, there are malted oats and flaked oats. Um but yeah, I mean, obviously the alcohol content of the beer will provide a lot of the mouthfeel as well, um, as as well as the yeast strain that we've selected. And obviously there is still some some yeast in suspension because, uh, you, like you said, it's pretty hazy. Um, but yeah, the, the dry hop, the dry hopping component is what what gives it that crazy crazy opaqueness, um, along with the yeast strain and, and the malt bill. Um. I guess one thing to note as well is like we all would know in the last, you know, five years, there's been a lot of um, breweries that just thrown hops in and just put as much. We we, we entered a hop, uh, how much hops can we put in game a long time ago and putting it on the can and things like that. With this, we've still found merit in putting hops in the right way and the flavor you can get when you actually do double dry hop it. And we do see people still really going for that. I guess it, it, there may have been a change over time where when there was a lot of hops, it, it would potentially give a lot of uh, dryness and um, potentially have some hop creep in that beer. But what I mentioned before, we've, we've been focusing on our dry hopping methods, you know, we, for the whole time we've, we've been going, but in particular, really, really in the last two years. Um, so yeah, we're we're really happy with this beer and and like we always say, if we're gonna put the hops in, we have to make sure it's truly a double dry hop beer. Yeah. Yeah. And this the I mean, this beer is massive in in so many ways. Like it's the the hops are just it's just a wall of flavor. Um the texture in the mouth is incredible. It's 8.8%, which is which is mind-blowing because it doesn't actually feel... I think a, a lot of the weight of the beer kind of, kind of pulls that, that I, I think, disguises that. There's so much other flavour that... It, and I think that maybe that it needs that. But I thought I might actually do, take a little bit of an interlude and speak about Matt, and he currently isn't drinking massive beers at the moment. He's currently having a bit of a dry spell mm-hmm. and drinking a lot of non-alcoholic beer. Shout out low key. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah the, the low key. Tell us, like, as you've, as you've been drinking, has it been a couple of weeks? Am I right in saying you've been, you've been kind of 
winning you've been off the off the the alcohol for a week a couple uh, of weeks. yeah I'd, I'd say 1.75 on that who's counting yeah <laughs> so yeah. It, yeah what have you learned about your your about the low key over that time like every every it one of the one of the some of the things you really loved about being able to just drink it over a long period of time. And we were talking before we started the podcast that you know a lot of breweries will produce one, they might try it occasionally, but they won't have an intense period where they're trying their their low alcohol offering for a long period of time. Well, how how are you going? And what what are some of the observations you've you've kind of had over this time? Yeah, I guess. Um... That's that's sort of a similar event as to what brought this on for me. I mean, I've been I've been trying to find a window where I could have roughly a month um, off off drinking uh-huh. beers, drinking alcohol um, altogether for a little while now. Um, I did a lot of traveling last year and a lot of festivals and a lot of um, big nights. And um, I was in the states recently, and I, I did a lot of double IPA drinking and a lot of uh, macro American lager drinking. So I was looking. I was looking to have a bit of a break at some point early this year. And a couple of weeks ago, I was actually in Melbourne at our, at our Melbourne venue at a meeting there. And it was with someone that hadn't, didn't know that we made a non-alcoholic beer. And so I, I said, Oh, let's, let's have a taste of it. And it was, it was one, it was a can from this current batch. And I actually, um, I'll admit that I actually hadn't tried it since the very first one that we ever made, which was good and I enjoyed it for what it was. But when I tried this one, I kind of had a bit of like a, oh, holy shit, this is actually really good kind of a moment. So um, I mentally said to myself, yeah, I could drink that for four weeks mm-hmm. um, and and not fall off the face of the earth. So yeah, that's kind of what brought it on. And and honestly, I've, I've only had, um, I've, I've had three so far. Um, had two on the weekend with my dad who was extremely disappointed that I wasn't going to have a beer with him. Um, and I had one last night after we, um, after I did our, uh, we have a running club um, in Melbourne and in Brisbane and I did a, a 5k run in the, in the heat yesterday afternoon. And usually I would crush back just any kind of lager that we have pouring. But um, last night I had a low key and I really enjoyed it. And it's good because you know, working in the industry, in the alcohol industry, we are, especially in a brewery, um, we're, we're truly surrounded by beer all the time. And there's there's really not a time when we're at work where there's not the opportunity to taste a new beer or try something fresh out of the bride tank or off the packaging line. And, you know, those kind of sensory checks are, are super necessary, but often I find myself trying beer at nine in the morning just because it's there and I can. Um, so I needed to sort of have a bit of a break and wean myself off and just um yeah, have have a bit of time where I where I where I didn't drink alcohol and um yeah, it's made a lot easier by some of the, the high quality non-alc beers that are coming out at the moment. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I guess one thing to note uh, to add to that is um during, in January in, in the tap room up in Brisbane, um we turned down like the system, the, the temperature of the system, the glycol system, so we could pour this uh, in, on draft, just yeah, as right. a, as as experiment to see how many people would actually order it. And what hmm. we did is um, we put it on, and and we never charged anyone for it because we wanted people just to try it. But secondly, we we just said, you know, we're donating to a charity. Just just donate a certain amount of money, and we just charged them for that. Oh, that's great. And it was crazy how many people drank it and then also donated 
quite a generous amount of money. So I think, you know, our tap system, I think we have 16 taps up here. We would love to have it on all the time yeah. um, as an as an option. Um, sometimes we, we do slip it back on, sometimes we don't. But I think there's definitely going to be a time soon where we see if not if not if not in melbourne already i know there's i know there's some some um, bars and stuff that are purely non-alcohol but there's going to be a time when there's going to be a tap that is non-alcoholic yeah yep yeah i, I think, think you're absolutely right yeah, i totally think so yeah and it's it's that one thing that's great when you you might be the designated driver or you might be stuck and to just have something good to drink yeah. as opposed to the the cascade light that's been sitting in the the bar fridge for for years. It like yeah, it's it's something it's something fresh that people care about. I think it's really important. You keep going to the same functions I do, Warren. Clearly, yeah, it's that same yeah, I think it's yeah. Easy. It's like oh, I'm not drinking. Well, like I'm I'm a, I've got to drive. What am I gonna have? Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, that cascade light. We probably yeah, been at the same pubs and drank. The, from the same case of Cascade Light. I think that's out. absolutely right. Now, okay. there's a couple of things we should we should sort of highlight. First of all, let's talk about the the running club. How do mm, how do we yeah. get to be part of that? And then also during our little break, normally what happens during the break is not discussed later on the podcast. But there was a, a couple of great yarns in there and some things we need to promote out of that as well. So, yeah. So the running club. Um, it's something that we wanted to start for ages um, and it's it's basically just um, sort of along the lines of of the the non-alc I guess is just um, it's about you know balancing the the mental health aspect of working in the alcohol industry and drinking plenty of it um, and just getting out and going for a run and clearing the head um, as well as um, being part of a, a community. Um, so we have a, a great little crew up here in Brizzy that um, comes out every second Wednesday. Um, we do a five or a 3K run. Um, then we come back and, and have a beer. And we do um, we do uh, like events like the Bridge to Brisbane is, a, is an annual like 10K run um, from up and over the Gateway Bridge and into the city. Um, so we had a good little crew of that a couple of years ago. We've sort of been struck down by COVID and and terrible weather a lot so we've had a lot of inconsistency with actually being able to put our run club on but the last probably three or four months it's been it's been humming so um yeah we also started it down in melbourne um two weeks ago yesterday um i was down there for the inaugural for the inaugural run and we had a really good turnout at yesterday's meetup so it's just a where, did, where did you run in melbourne he said you know so um yeah so we the, the the loop that we've done the last couple of weeks is basically from the abbotsford tap room um, down John- Johnson Street and behind Vic Park and then along the river, like around past Yarraband Golf Course and then back down Hoddle. So, yeah, uh, sorry, back down Johnson. Um, and it's a nice little loop. It's 5K, it's super casual. There's no, like, racing or or egos or anything like that. It's just about everyone getting out at their own pace and getting the legs moving and then having a beer together. So when Heinrich from uh, from Norway or Sweden or wherever he hails from at the moment comes over, genuinely come and be part of that it's an amazing part of the world to go and running it's it's amazing how you can go from a super sort of city feel to literally yeah. being in the australian bushland 500 meters later yeah. yeah that that really actually blew me away and it made me quite jealous of that area for for running because 
where we are located in Brisbane, it's it's fairly uh, we're fairly city. We we get to run along the river, but it's definitely not as um, as bushland of a feel as what you guys have down in Abbotsford. Yeah, we're very lucky. Um, yeah, after that little segue, let's go back to let's go back to these massive beers. I've been I tried the two side the two. The, t- the last two beers we have side to s- side by side and it was really fascinating because we've always it, it's it's like a it's like pretty much understood that a, a hazy's supposed to be softer cushier and juicier but of these two and the oh, I mean, no, like the the power trip is is two percent lower but the power trip is just such a such an easy drink it's kind of fascinating to to look at the two in that in that respect and there's a reason why you've called the 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 excel the excel um it's uh what do you guys see when you when you when you're looking at the two together like is is it is is which way from a brewery sense do you do you prefer or do you love brewing? Um, what are the what are the kind of the the ideas you take to both of these completely different styles of beer? And and particularly because you guys do them in a fairly like unique way or like in a range way, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean we 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 enjoy making like all styles of beer. It's it's not just hazy beer, and I I think um like the, these two beers, especially when you put them side by side are, um, are a very, um, you know, they're very contrasting beers um, in, in, in how they uh, appear, um, but also how they taste. And yeah, you're right. Like I, th- I think, you know, the conception is that hazy IPAs in general are, are usually softer and a lot more cushy and pillowy. And that, that is true um, for, for our beers of that style. Um, but also, like you said, if we're if we're going to make a beer called XL, like we're we're really going to let her rip, so to speak. So that that beer is is just absolutely bombarded with hops, and it's it is meant to be like a punch in the face in aromatics and and texture ex, textural experience as well as flavor. Um, but I think um, it, it is still remarkably soft and easy to drink uh, for what it is. Uh, yep. especially compared to some other, I guess, um, iterations of the style from, from other places we've had around the world. Um, so th- I guess that's the goal of that beer is to, is to make it as drinkable as possible whilst still being like fairly absurd. Um, yeah. And I, I think, that, you know, on, on that as well, that's why I was really excited um, to firstly start with, with, with the lager and then switch to these. And I think it just, I kind of, they, they are polarizing in a way, but also similar in, in the fact that it's, it's the advancements we've made at the brewery and where we've gotten to so far in, in these sort of the pursuit with these styles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, like we said, we're, we're really happy with them, but it's also, you can talk about them. So they're, they're so different, but yeah. also there's, there's the similarity is that, you know, we're still trying to push the limits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think they're a fascinating pair of beers to have, and I genuinely think it's the first time that we've had a West Coast IPA 
as not the last beer sort of in a lineup of beers. So yeah. normally our listeners would expect to go, oh, well, we'll have the IPA or the double IPA and then go to the West Coast. But there's a completely legitimate reason for this. It, it's a really fun way to taste these two beers next to each other. Yeah. And I like your comment about kind of pushing the boundaries because, like, the 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 lager that we started with is pushing completely different boundary but still pushing a boundary to these two, which are pushing it like the, it, it kind of drives me. Yeah. It, it boggles my mind, but it's just a fascinating, a fascinating discussion. Um, let's go on to something that I like. Yeah. It's, talking about the ridiculousness of it all. Let's discuss our traditional cool room question. Oh, you're um, doing it. Yeah. yeah okay. Yes. I'm doing it. I'm Keep asking going. it. All right. And particularly, I love asking it from people who have who have had experience around the world because it I think they quite often have a different perspective. Anyway, so our traditional cougar in question is what is the craziest, stupidest, smelliest, explosive, dangerous thing you've seen in the cool room and the reason we ask this question is because we won't go draw the curtain back on on the brewing and the hospitality industry and the fact that there's it's like behind the scenes is quite often a completely disheveled mess that isn't in front but yeah what's what tell us a story about the a cool room or any hospitality or brewing brewing um situation you've been in which Probably not what most people expect. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think you're going to be really disappointed here. I haven't really no, had. Come on, a, I've been in a don't lot. Mention, of don't mention where these things have happened. It wasn't at your brewery. It was somewhere else. Tell us those stories from back in the past. No, I, I um, I, I only read this question about 15 minutes before we came on, so I didn't really have too much time to prepare and. Nothing really comes to mind that is, you know, particularly funny or crazy. The one thing that I that I can sort of think of that it was just like what, what I would consider the biggest fucking flex of a brewery is that um, I don't remember if it was at Bolter in in Queensland or if it was at uh, uh, there's a brewery in Yakima. Yeah. Bow breaker. And I think it was that bow breaker, but in their in their cold room, um, in their hot storage, like we just have like dirty stacks of hot boxes on top of each other. And they had a it was either one of these crews, I don't know why I can't remember which one, but they had a like a uh, a hot box dispensing like forward slider. So you would take one box of hops out and the next one would slide down behind it. And then you would take that one no. out, like like That's when you take intense. a can of coke out of the fridge, and it like it, it just slides forward. And I just thought that was like the most extra, like that's really extra. That that's you could very definition. But at the same time, I was like, "Fuck, that is so damn cool." Um, <laughs> how do I was get there one? some junior woodchuck whose job it was to come in at midnight and fill all these things up? Like, yeah, how does that actually? Back. How does that actually from work? the back? Yeah. From the tenth, well, either street. that or you're like pushing like eighty kilos of hot boxes up, yeah, to exactly. fill it from the front. So it came straight from the farm. Yeah, it's probably. Yeah, 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 they were. They there was were... drones bringing them in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Whoa. 
Yeah, so that's about, I don't know, that's the most jealous I've ever been in a cool room anyways. That's good. We've got to add jealous to the list of ways. Well, yeah, so the one thing right. we kept on saying we need to add is what's your favourite bit of kit in the brewery? We've never actually... Oh, yes. Yeah. But, like, is there, a, is there a special toy that you really sort of thought, yeah, we've made it? We've referenced things you would like to have, but what's the one where you actually got it and went, uh, we always cool. We always have those where we're like, now we're a real brewery moments. Um, one recently, actually, and, and it's with the Echoes. I was going to say it before. Um, that beer, we have a centrifuge here, and we've recently got an inline carbonator put on it. And that Echoes was the first beer we ran with the inline carbonator, and it hit perfect spec in terms of carbonation. So imagine I'm a philosophy teacher and not a brewer. Explain to me what an inline carbonator does. Okay, so... Just, just in case I was. <laughs> just in case, yeah. So essentially um, what that does is, is it has multiple sensors on it and we set a certain... Um, we, we, we set some parameters based on what the, the beer um, carbonation is prior to um, being transferred. Um, and what, what that does is essentially infuses CO2 while moving into the beer um it actually does it pre-spinning um so yeah it, it essentially drops the co2 in spins it and it comes out with you know bubbles like we have to say um that's like that to me sounds like a really expensive thing and how does it drive the carbon dioxide into the like does it pump it is it like dried is under, it like- yeah under pressure and a um like in simple terms, you know, when you, if, if you had a, an aquarium at home when you were a kid and you had the little, yeah, stone, little bubbler thing. Stone, yeah. It's a stone put in a certain location running with a certain uh, velocity of beer going over it with a certain pressure gives the you. Pressure is a big thing, isn't it? We're learning more and more about this in recent episodes, I think, which I knew nothing about. That's where I was a true, true philosophy teacher, not understanding things, but the pressure that everything's being done under makes such a difference to how the yeast reacts and how you get your carbonation and things going. Yeah, for sure. And and with that, adding that piece of um, technology into the brewery has, it allows us to get about 24 hours ahead in, um, I guess, with beers finished, it just needs to be carbonated. In Brisbane, it's really, really hot half the time. Um, our glycol system struggles sometimes mm-hmm. especially in um you know 38s high humidity like we're getting a couple of weeks it's the real cool room story yeah uh, <laughs> uh and so yeah it, it's struggling there so we're essentially getting that beer ready to be packaged um 24 hours ahead of time okay that's, that's I, I, really I, we've never had a story quite like that before and i and i love it and what other thing could you imagine doing with the carbonator attached to your centrifuge have you thought of different products and this is way far ahead and this isn't even a question this will probably be cut out i'm sure david will just get what the fuck is worrying going on about but it's usually a fair bit of that yeah yeah, i'm sure there is um have you thought of other ways you can use it to produce stuff like maybe this is the mad scientist in my head but yeah uh I think you have the idea. So <laughs> okay, if I can think of something, I'll, I'll, I'll message it to you. But like, yeah. like here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, 
that inline carbonator is attached to the centrifuge. It's, it's part of a, like an, an added module of that centrifuge we have. Uh -huh. um, in terms of the centrifuge, there's, there's multiple, um, multiple things we purchased it for. Um, and that's to you know, increase the yield of our, of our hazy beers, but also to increase some clarity of our, of our clear beers. Um, but if you talk to a few other breweries in particular, we know um, our friends at One Drop, they're, they're using their centrifuge for, for those purposes plus more. Um, uh, get yeast out in, in different stages prior mm. to, to the finished product. So in terms of carbonation, no. Um, I mean, we could make some pretty good sparkling water pretty quickly. <laughs> um, Super clear sparkling water with that, yeah. So that yeah. I'm going to move us along before Warren starts to pitch ideas to the guys about <laughs> what he's doing with his wine this year, because I know he's Warren's got some ambitions for his wine this year. But I'm no, no not going to talk any more about that than this. <laughs> let's uh, let's get some of the unmuting happening here in the Zoom room. Let's get James to ask his first question. I know Corey's got a question after that. There's probably room for one or two more questions after that if people in the Zoom room are keen. James. Thanks, David, and uh, thanks, Matt and Jared. It's been great hearing about your operations. Um, we started talking about it in the break, which I know is one of the one of the sins of the podcast when the recording was yeah stopped. But I really enjoyed one of your beers when I had the fortune of dropping into the house of the Trembling Madness in York in September last year, and you had hooked up with Beak Brewing and. I wondered if there was a story behind that. Yeah. It's a great so, name. Tell us the name of that bar again. That is a great name. Mm, bar. There's two of them um, in York. They're two, and they have a great bottle store too. You can get everything UK. And uh, my address is to send you some product. <laughs> so what was the name of the, the Trembling Madness? The House of the Trembling Madness, the one of the great of the bars Trembling. of the North in, UK, in the UK. I think I'm sure that was a Goon Show episode at some stage. Yeah. So um, yeah, the big the big story is cool. It it it's a bit of a long story, but we basically um, we we met a guy called Max at a at a beer festival in 2019, who at the time worked for Northern Monk, um, and and now works at Beak. And uh, his boss and the owner of of Beak, uh, whose name is Danny, had um, asked him if he knew any any cool breweries or, or fun people around the world um, that they could, that they could link up with and, and brew a collab with. And um, for whatever reason, Max remembered um, all the tequila that we drank at the London Craft Beer Festival in 2019 and, um, and got us in touch with, with the guys from, from Beacon with Danny. And yeah, we sent some beers to them and they sent some beers to us and they really loved an IPA that we, that we'd sent them um, called keep the change. And um, yeah, we sort of chatted about about brewing, and it's always the, the interesting thing about um, talking to other brewers about collabs is is learning how they, you know, what yeast they use and how they how they ferment their beer and how they dry hop it. Um, and so yeah, we kind of we told them a few a few things about how we do our our um, IPA process, and they were pretty um, not shocked, but it was definitely different to how they were doing it. So. Yeah, we made a beer called Equals, um, and it was kind of it was um, it, it was it was a fun label because it said like um, big plus range 
equals and then at the bottom it's said ipa because that was the beer style so the beer name was called equals but b plus range equals ipa um and uh yeah that was really fun i think off the top of my head it was a citra and equinot ipa um and i got to try it in in june and it, and it was awesome so yeah the guys from beaker are really legendary and they're they're a small brewery but i think their output and their their name has grown really fast in the UK because of the outstanding quality that they're um, that they're producing down there. Awesome answer, and thank you for that. We're going to keep moving along through the audience questions. And uh, Corey, if you're there and able to unmute, fire away with your question, brother. Thanks so much, guys, for coming along and for the wonderful beers. Um, <clears throat> Range, I reckon, is one of those breweries that when when people know, they know. Um, and I think that's very much the same thing for the logo. Um, it stands out amongst all the labels I've ever seen. What is the story behind your logo? Have you got it? Yeah. So I'll try to do it with a little bit of show and tell. So, um, yeah, essentially. There's nothing like show and tell in a podcast. Essentially, one thing um, I guess we we didn't we didn't <laughs> we didn't mention before is in uh, Toowoomba is based on an extinct volcano, um, and also well, yeah, at least you hope on, it is, or you hope your fa- your family's hope it is. <laughs> and it's also based on the Great Dividing Range, which is the second longest, I believe, second longest range mountain range uh, in the world. Um, so it isn't the the Alps by all means, but we when we sent when we essentially briefed our designer um of what we wanted essentially we said we wanted something that resembled some sort of mountains and some sort of hills but also uh, encapsulated three certain things which was just meant three people who who started the company um all still who worked there um matt myself and mitch so essentially uh if you ever look at our logo and look at to the side there's some mountains um you look at it you can see three dots and then if you look at it backwards it says r and b oh i'd never picked that yeah so (laughs) so i guess there's there's three elements to it um and yeah that's where that that logo comes from and and when he produced that we we thought like it just it just hit the brief straight away and it was it was which is something that really um, caught our eye and, and, and lasted. And we, we loved it from the start. Um, so yeah, that's it, Corey. It's, it's a great logo. I've looked at it and loved it for so long, but never had that understanding. A quick Google informs me that the great dividing range is the fifth longest land based oh, uh, mountain chain in the world. Uh, it's the, the it's the longest within a single country or continent. Okay. Uh, and most excitingly, and what I want to have on a T-shirt is that it is the definitive watershed in Australia. So I just want to have a T-shirt that says definitive watershed. So <laughs> well, I think that just... will intimidate people for reasons they don't understand. Even I don't understand why that would be intimidating for people. Mr. Warren Wu, do you have one chat, a GBT, chief GPT Actually, question you'd like to ask? Uh, I will, because you asked me if there was. Um, okay, so uh, 
I suppose the chat GPT. You, you keep typing. I'll just keep talking about definitive water. Yeah, go on, because I'm trying to think of the one that I was. Um, oh, yeah. Um, how do you stay up to date on an industry trend or an innovation? Oh, a rip- so we are so generic. redundant. It is so, chat GPT is so generic, but that question, yeah, how do you stay, how do you guys stay with it? How do you guys stay, stay uh, relevant, I suppose, in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I, I guess two things we try to always do is collaborations mm-hmm. uh, locally and, and, and internationally. And yeah, just trying to, like, it's always been a big thing. Um, we we try to travel. We try to travel, and you, we love beer. So every time we travel, we land and we Google brewery or closest brewery. And I think by doing that, we made friends along the way. Um, and and you know, we follow a lot of them and do and follow them on social media. And and we also share uh, share when you hear something new or a new technique. Um, so that's that's yeah, that's two ways we do it. Um, yeah, I think one other way is um, where, yeah, I guess social media um, has been good and, and bad because like gone are the days of, you know, you having to go to America to go to that brewery to see what they were doing and try their beers. Like everyone knows everything now and you can see just exactly what beers people are releasing and where the trends are um, from the comfort of your couch. Um, so that's kind of one way is that, we yeah, we obviously keep up to date with what people are doing um, via their socials. But one uh, sort of really important thing is that we are very lucky to have great relationships with some of our suppliers. So um, particularly um, the guys from Yakima Chiefs and the guys from Freestyle Hop Farms in the last year have been incredible. Um, And we're lucky enough to get um, really early, if not first access to a lot of the new products that come out particularly from Freestyle in the last couple of years, uh, sorry, in the last year, um, we released a beer a few weeks ago called On The Run, which had um, the first, was uh, contained the first um, of their Sub-Zero Hop Keef, which is a liquid form of um, dry hopping um, product. Um, and we were, I, we were the only people at the time in Australia to have it. I think a couple of other people have got their hands on it now, but um yeah, that kind of thing really helps us to to keep us on our toes and keep pushing forward with with the the products that we use and the ingredients that we use in making our beer as well. Um, on that note, we're really excited to keep on seeing all the amazing things you're doing. We we're really lucky to to talk through the the terrific beers that you've you've um, shared with us today. Uh, if you want to catch up with Range Brewing, it is simply rangebrewing.com. And you'll get their Facebook and their Instagram. Um, you'll also find them in Newstead and Abbotsford. Jared, Jerry, Matt, thank you. It has been, in, yeah, it's been so much fun. Uh, the beers have been terrific. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, David, I think that's that's a wrap. Thanks, guys. Yeah, really appreciate coming on and um yeah thanks david for reaching out to us um like i said i'd, I'd seen a seen a lot of it, the, the podcast before when we we're in lockdown and i think it's a really great thing that what you've done and it's it's a credit for how many episodes you guys have gone gone through so far let's not mention that let's just let's just 
press pause on the record. 